Welcome to Enriched Menopause, where perimenopausal and menopausal women can learn what's going on with their bodies and how to thrive during this stage and beyond. You are not crazy and you are not alone. I'm Dr. Jessica Rich. Let's do this together. Hello, and welcome back to Enriched Menopause. I have a wonderful guest with me today, Dr. Sylvia Barboni. She's a neurologist and also board certified in integrative and holistic medicine, which is a pretty rare but wonderful combination. And we're going to talk today about all sorts of neurologic issues that come into play in perimenopause and menopause. So Dr. Barboni, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So first, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got interested in neurology. It's an interesting story. My father's a neurologist, and so I always say he tricked me into it because he had me working in his office when I was a, a teenager, and I just kind of learned to enjoy the brain and the aspect of it all. So I was a EEG technician there for some time, and I did that all throughout my college um, experience too at UM, and so I just kind of. I think, grew up with being enticed by the brain. Wow, that's great. Because it's one of those things when when your parents are physicians, sometimes you like gravitate towards that and sometimes you just run in the opposite direction. So I'm glad it was something that piqued your interest and kept it along the way. Yeah, for sure. And then what made you decide to go to the route of, of looking into integrative and holistic medicine? Well, I mean, I'm neuromuscular trained. And so, again, I'm always looking to see how a patient themselves, what they can do themselves to make themselves better. I think patients always do better if you get them involved in their own health. And so that's how I got involved with that, you know, try to also have a good way to get patients to be able to take care of themselves, not just prescribing medications all the time, but how can we do this as a whole body? I love that. I, I always think that, you know, finding all sorts of ways to make people feel better and to have their best health are important. And it's not always, you know, what we learned in, in residency, but kind of the whole picture. So I love that. Now, of course, you take care of people of all ages and genders, but for this particular podcast, we're going to focus on women in perimenopause and postmenopause. So tell me, what are some of the most common issues you see in women in their 40s to 60s and beyond? So, I mean, I think it's common one, you know, memory always comes up, you know, sleep changes occur at that age also. And so that can also affect memory and mood. We get, we don't realize also a lot of, you know, our body changes and we can develop vitamin deficiencies as well as issues with our thyroid. Obviously we see migraines can get better at that age and that's kind of nice also sometimes, but not always. And so common in the women population is always dealing with headaches. But I think Mainly at that time, we are concerned with, you know, memory, sleep, and then, you know, anything having to do with, you know, vascular risk factors such as high blood pressure, diabetes, heart disease, and all of that that can also affect uh, the brain, start to affect the brain at that age. Yeah, definitely. So we're going to kind of look at each of these issues a little bit. And, And for one, I think the memory, the brain fog is one that I hear from women all the time about. It's one that I notice even myself, you know, that like suddenly walking into a room more often and not remembering why I'm there or having those like little like losses of 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 memory or what we kind of call brain fog. So tell us a little bit about, you know, what's going on there and, and what we can do about it. So a lot of times I think it has to do as we get older, there's always a lot of stress in our lives too. And we don't really, you know, I think 
especially women, we like to put our family first before we put ourselves first. And so I think sometimes that stress can also affect how we sleep. Really common for memory forgetfulness is lack of sleep. Also, our attention and concentration, it changes as we get older. People will say, oh, my 20s, I was already always able to multitask, do everything and stuff like that. Well, our life in our 20s is very different than our stress in our life in our 40s and 50s, you know, and so you're always have other things on your mind. So that gets your attention and concentration, especially then if you have children or you're dealing with, you know, elderly parents, it's just different things that you don't worry about in your younger 20s and 30s. So I not think- that we don't have stress in our 20s and 30s, but we're just pulled in so many different directions as we get older. For sure. And so memory loss, you know, can be commonly 40s and 50s. You're not going to see dementia at that age. You know, that is unless it's a hereditary form of dementia that doesn't begin until 65 or so. This is a normal population. So I always try to look at other factors, sleep, anxiety, stress exercise. And then we start to develop, you know, we could get thyroid issues. Thyroid can affect our memory, vitamin deficiency, something like vitamin D or vitamin B12. Commonly people will be like, oh, but I'm always outside and I'm fine. I don't have vitamin D, but I see plenty of very tan people and they have very low vitamin D. So I say it's just something simple to check, but I do see it more as we get older. So when would you say somebody who's noticed a little bit of changes in mem- memory, not anything super severe, but they've, they've noticed a difference, when is that point when they would say, okay, well, I really need to go and have a workup versus just uh, this is part of the sort of stress and aging and maybe I need a better night's sleep? Neurologists get concerned when it's affecting your function, your, your daily ability to function. If you're not able to, you get lost driving to your children's school, right? You get lost driving to the supermarket, you know, things that are not like you walk into a room, you forgot where you put your sunglasses, you walk out and like, I forgot. And then it comes back to you. That is kind of part of normal, but you can't remember how to get to your parents' house. So your doctor, you know, that's important. You're not taking your medication. You're not picking your kids up from school, you're missing appointments, things like that is really that functionality, you know, mm-hmm. if you're, mm-hmm. and I always ask people, okay, well, can you function at work? Because more neurodegenerative, worrisome memory loss is going to be all the time. Right. And so a lot of people say, I can go to work, I can focus and I'm totally fine because they know how to sit in. But then when they get home, they can't remember, you know, where they put their keys. So again, that has a lot to do with attention and focus. So when it's going and spanning all the different spans of life, that's when we start to get concerned. Other people work are saying, hey, you didn't write that email correctly. Remember, we were supposed to finish this, you know, subject. Did you finish it? Things like that, where it's affecting your ability to function. Okay, so definitely affecting ability to function when things are going in different multiple parts of their life, for sure. And then otherwise, of course, just the routine stuff. So the checking vitamin D levels, checking thyroid levels, this should be part of your like, annual workup with your primary care physician kind of a thing. For sure. And for sure. And I see plenty of people, they come in and they're B12 deficient and their primary just never checked it. You know, their vitamin D is very low. You know, they just usually a lot of times, depending on your primary care doctor, they're not checking it. Okay. And as you mentioned, sleep can be a big part of this. So how do you address somebody who's having a lot of trouble with their sleep? How would you evaluate and improve that? 
with sleep, there are a variety of different factors. You one, of course, you want to make sure there's no clinical evidence of sleep apnea, loud snoring, stopping breathing, things like that. Because again, they may think they're sleeping, but they're not getting good restful sleep. And then that will affect their memory as well as the fatigue during the day. Also, then I always ask like, well, what's the issue with sleep? You can't get to sleep or you wake up multiple times to sleep. Unfortunately, sometimes they're waking up all the time to go to the bathroom, you know, Mm -hmm. and so they're not getting restful sleep because of that. So then I was like, okay, that's something that needs to be addressed. So I always ask. And that's when you get into my department. (laughs) All that is important because if you're waking up five times a night, that's not, you're not ever getting into that good stage for sleep where there's the most restful because you need to be sleeping for a little bit longer for that. Sometimes if they're worrying, if they wake up and then to go to the bathroom, they can't fall back to sleep because they start thinking about everything they have to do the next day and their mind gets going and they can't, you know, go back to sleep. So it's always kind of important to see where is the sleep cycle being broken up and then trying to figure out, okay, well, what can we do to fix that? Any tips or strategies that you have to help women with that waking up all the time? I mean, other than obviously if there's going to the bathroom, we're going to work on that, but just that kind of you know, worrisome, mind racing, can't get to sleep, can't stay to sleep kind of a thing? Well, I always try to start with exercise first. I always very, always recommend all my patients to exercise. I said exercise is great for the brain. It has a natural relief, uh, release of both serotonin for your mood, acetylcholine and norepinephrine for your memory, and it tires you out. So you're going to be so tired, you're just going to be able to get to sleep, you know? So it is both getting you tired at the same time, helping you relax from the stress. So we don't want to be exercising late at night because some, you know, cardiovascular exercise will be stimulating and then people won't be able to sleep after. But having that in your routine, you know, having a set routine to go to bed, wake up, exercise. And I think that helps first always before going to medication or anything like that. I wanted to switch a little bit to, you had mentioned headaches. And for some women, this can get better, particularly if people are having menstrual headaches. And then if they're no longer having a menstrual cycle, then the headaches tend to go away. But particularly in perimenopause, especially when hormones are a little bit more erratic, I tend to see a lot of women who do also have kind of worsening of headaches coming with that. Is that something that you see as well? Yeah, we can definitely see that. And I think that is, you know, sometimes an important time to see a neurologist because I see patients, they like to medicate themselves with over-the-counter medications. And a lot of patients don't realize, you know, just because it's over-the-counter doesn't mean it's safe to take on a daily basis. So we deal a lot with um, medication overuse headaches, just from taking too much Excedrin migraine, which I hate, you know, too much ibuprofen or Advil. The Excedrin migraine has a lot of caffeine in it, so it makes the headaches worse even, you know, faster. So a lot of times just withdrawing patients from their over-the-counter meds and getting them on a good preventative agent. We have a lot of great new medicines with, you know, no side effects that have been around now in the last, you know, three, four years. So some patients, you know, who they suffered with headaches for a long time and they really had nothing to help them. They kind of just gave up and they're like, this is where I am. And, and this is just, I just take four Tylenol or four Advil every day. And that's what I do, but there's better treatments for that now. And so I think that's important as your headaches change, the medicines that you need can change. I also noticed some women will start to get paresthesias or kind of like nerve pains in other parts of their body as they get into perimenopause and menopause. Is that something you see? And and how do you go about addressing that? 
No, I mean, patients shouldn't necessarily just be getting numbness and tingling, the, you know, the paresthesias just, you know, from the aging process. Again, we're always going to go back to those vitamin deficiency, vitamin B12 being very common cause for that thyroid disease, always making sure that's okay. I always think that any kind of numbness and tingling in your limbs definitely you know, warrants an evaluation because it's not part of the normal aging process. It could be normal for that person, but you always want to make sure there's not something that we can fix, you know, glucose metabolism and alcohol use. Diabetes and both chronic alcohol use are going to be the number one causes in America for paresthesias, numbness, tingling, and neuropathy. So sometimes- Mm not realizing that, you know, maybe we need to scale back on some of those things because it's definitely affecting our body now. And definitely some of those things are things that are never good for us in general, but can be things that we can tolerate in our bodies when we're younger. And then as we get older, it kind of catches up with us a little bit. So always important to evaluate and then healthy lifestyle all around for sure. Yes, for sure. For sure. Another complaint that I hear often is dizziness, sometimes vertigo, sometimes just the kind of overall sensation of dizziness. And sometimes I see this in my patients who are in perimenopause, if they're having like these really heavy periods and getting anemic, but sometimes it's not that. Sometimes we check all the anemia stuff and it's okay. And and they're still having these kind of like intermittent sensations of dizziness and vertigo. Is that something that you see? Yeah. Now, so vertigo, is that something else again that it can become more of an issue as we get older, you know, having the crystals checked in your ear that it's common if they're having a lot of spinning. Sometimes women who used to get migraines and they're not getting the actual headache anymore, they're still getting that kind of their aura that a lot of times can just be dizziness. So sometimes the dizziness is part of their migraine without the headache. And so sometimes that also needs to be addressed with different medications, obviously blood pressure, what you mentioned, the, you know, heavy periods and things like that. But again, just sometimes feeling that lightheadedness and a lot of that too can also, you know, checking orthostatic, like the blood pressure when you're standing and sitting to see if that changes. Cause that can also change as we get a little bit older too. And our blood pressure will drop just when we stand for too long and that'll make us kind of feel off. Okay, so we've identified some of the main issues, and we'll get into dementia in a little bit, but what are some of the things that women can do to maintain good brain health? So most important, and we talked about that, I always push this on all my patients, is exercise. Nothing is more important than exercise. I always tell my patients, if I could put exercise in a pill, that would be perfect, you know, (laughs) easier. But exercise is the only thing that has been shown to increase brain volume, to help delay the onset of cognitive impairment, even improve cognitive impairment. Even in patients with Parkinson's disease, you see a delay in the progression if they exercise regularly. So that is, you know, a number one priority that and a lot of that has to do with exercise in our midlife. You can't be like, no never ever do. And then like, okay, I'm going to start. The benefit really needs to be in this midlife period, these 40s, you know, 50s, you know, because that's going to affect us when we're, you know, 70s, 60s and 70s. The other thing is, you know, just taking good care of your heart and your body, you know, the, the heart pushes everything to the brain, you know, anything that can affect the heart will affect your brain. So, you know, we want to try to avoid heart disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, high cholesterol. So all of that over time 
affects our brain. So the less that our body has with regards to that, the healthier our, our brain will be. So with that comes, you know, the appropriate diet, you know, if you are eating healthy, that's also going to improve your heart disease risk, your high blood pressure, diabetes, all of that. So it's, it's a lot that patients can do, but they have, it's not easy. You know, you have to mm-hmm. really be part of that. I like what you said about, you know, exercise is important to start in midlife or sooner. Obviously, the earlier we start, the better. But I do want to emphasize, too, that, you know, I have so many women that come and see me that are maybe like, you know, in their 60s who are just like, well, I've never exercised my entire life. And I always encourage people like just, you know, start where you are, because, yes, it would be great if you started this 20, 30 years ago. But, you know, it's going to be much better if you start now than if you don't exercise whatsoever. And, and I didn't realize that bit about Parkinson's being delayed with exercise. So I think that's really critical. Yeah, I think sometimes, too, they can go with a group. They enjoy it more. You know, they have patients join a walking club or they're like they get their friends. Let's just walk. It doesn't matter how long or how fast you walk. You know, you just go and you walk here. You know, Florida gets hot in the summer, but our shopping mall opens at eight o'clock just so patients can go walking in the air conditioning and the stores aren't even open. So I, I encourage go with your spouse, go with your friend. Let's like let's just go on a walk every day. So they can enjoy it also and kind of talk and and things like that. Try to, you know, find something that's enjoyable. And and again, at any age, whenever you start, it's going to benefit you, you know. And and so I think that some people like to do classes, so they're not by some. Some of them like to be by themselves, you know. It's just finding what is, I would say, what you like to do and then doing that on a regular basis. So let's talk a little bit more about dementia, because I do think that this is a big fear that a lot of women ha- have, especially if there's a family history, especially when we start looking at postmenopause and sometimes some mixed evidence with hormone replacement therapy and whether that helps or, or increases risk of, of dementia. So tell me a little bit about how you go about the evaluation of dementia, how you go about counseling people who have a family history and, and what does that look like? So the family history is patients always bring that up, you know, and I think the important thing to remember is the number one risk factor for dementia is age. So if we are lucky to live long enough, it's just going to be part of the aging process. Our brain shrinks 0.3% per year, no matter what we do. That's just, so if we live to be a hundred, there's a 50% chance we'll have dementia just because of the normal aging process. So early onset dementia is um, considered before age 55. So I always ask, you know, they say, oh, my mom had dementia. My uncle, well, at what age? Was it in their 70s, 80s? And that's just kind of, you know, when we see it. it doesn't necessarily mean it's a genetic condition for them. They may or may not have the gene, you know. But again, the older we are, the higher risk it is. And that's just based on age. So it's always important to know, well, do they have dementia in their 80s or their 70s? Or was it in their 40s and 50s? Kind of the same as what we ask for heart disease. You know, when did they have the heart attack at 40 or was it 70? So that's always very important because then you pull that out. And if they do have a family history late 50s to 60s, okay, well, then what we really want to push is we got to have really good brain health. We don't want to have diabetes. Diabetes causes a significant increased risk for dementia. We don't want to have high blood pressure, high cholesterol, or heart disease. All of that stuff is going to also increase your risk of developing dementia. So those are all stuff that patients can do to decrease the risk. 
we have a lot of studies going on now. And so if we can treat people with medication before they develop symptoms, but we're not there yet. You know, there's genetic testing that you can do. And again, that's always an option. But again, if someone's not having symptoms and there's nothing we can do for treat, I always push what I know is going to decrease the risk of dementia is taking good care of themselves, you know? So of course, the healthy lifestyle is going to help to delay any dementia. But if you do take good care of yourself, you might end up living longer and might get to that dementia (laughs) part already. But that's not an excuse. You still have to take great care of yourself. (laughs) And definitely, I know there's a lot of studies in the works about things to do for like early onset dementia, things to do when people start to develop symptoms, potentially things to do for family members or people who are considered high risk. But there's nothing really out there yet, as far as I know, right? It's all kind of still under investigation. It's not there yet. And I always encourage, you know, if it's something that people are strongly you know, strong, feel strongly about their, their mother or the father had dementia in their late fifties or sixties, you know, the research is how we find these answers. So there's a lot of research going on, on patients with family histories who have no symptoms to see, okay, well, mm-hmm. be at a higher risk. Well, what can we do so that you don't develop that? And so that's how we learn. And so I think that's, I always, you know, encourage that. If that's something that you have experienced in your family and you're a healthy individual and you are worried about your future. And I said, these research studies are important because if something is available for us in the next five to 10 years, you're one of these studies, you're going to be one of the first ones to get them, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think that is a, a great way to help, you know, the future generations. And so I always encourage my patients, you know, they have dementia in their family that's a little bit younger age, you know, I encourage them to, you know, go to the research centers. We're always looking for healthy individuals because that's what's going to help because all the studies have shown is by the time people already have dementia, it's moderate to severe, we can't fix it. Even Mm. mild, kind of iffy, you know, we can really prevent them from ever getting the symptoms, that's where we're going to win. Because by the time patients actually exhibit symptoms of dementia, they've already had the changes in the brain for at least 10 years with no symptoms. Wow. And you so know, all those so, treatments are really to sort of delay the progression or, or kind of decrease it, but nothing really that's going to fix it at that point. Correct. So that's what all the research is now looking at because For the last, you know, 30, 40 years, we looked at trying to make everybody better. Well, that's not going to happen. Now we just have to prevent them from getting there. All right. Well, Sylvia, you've given us so much already. Are there any other tips or any other information you'd like to leave us with? You know, I think it always is empowering to have a patient be aware, you know, I can do this for myself. I can exercise. I can eat healthy. Not to say that you can't like have, you know, on special occasions, you know, you're going to have your big piece of chocolate cake or anything like that, you know, but overall, you know, you're 80% of your life, you're healthy and you overall, everything's going to be good. So I think that is encouraging for patients to, you know, empower them and let them know they are in charge of their future. You definitely want to do your annual checkup with your doctors, as always, your primary care, make sure your blood pressure is good, your cholesterol is good, your sugar, everything is good because sometimes you think you're doing well, but as we get older, our body changes. And so maybe we have some things that we need to adjust. So I think that's important. A lot of times I see patients in their 60s. I've never gone to see a doctor, you know, like, well, you know, probably need to start doing that just to check things out because they may, you may feel fine. But not realize your numbers are not 
not good. Your sugar is not good. Your cholesterol is not good. And some people like, oh, I didn't know. But if I would have known, I would have changed things I was doing. Because the way you eat in your 20s is not the way you can eat in your 40s or 50s, you know? Mm -hmm. And and so I think a lot of people don't realize that or they do, but they said like, uh, maybe if I just don't know, then I can avoid it. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And the, the point of those health screenings are to find things before they get to a point where you're feeling symptoms or that it's causing something dangerous for you. So it's not a, if you feel great, everything's fine. It's it's doing the screening so that we catch things early and we can prevent it from being something as, as dangerous as it can be. For sure. I always tell people, we can always start the medicine. You can work on your exercise and cholesterol and all that. And then we can always get rid of it if everything gets fine. You know, it, it is what it is. You know, there's genetics for all of that also. So sometimes there's genetics for diabetes, heart disease, high blood pressure, all of that. And again, all those will start to play a role as we get a little older, just because there's a normal aging process of the body. So I think mm -hmm. that we have a lot of great medicines out there if we need them. So again, is everything to keep them from causing chronic damage over the years, I think is important. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Sylvia Barboni. If somebody is listening and they think that they want a doctor just like you, where can people find you? My office is located in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. We have a website, Advanced Neurology PB for Palm Beach, and is it at.com, I believe that's what it is. And yeah, and so we're here in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. Perfect. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review, and share with someone in your life who may benefit from this too. Remember that while I am a doctor, this podcast does not constitute medical advice and is for informational purposes only. Talk with your doctor about what may apply to you and your health. We'll see you on the next episode of Enriched Menopause.